Hello and welcome to The Scan. We're excited to bring you this episode from the George Institute for Global Health. Hello, this is the fourth episode of our World's Collide mini-series, featuring two well-known global health researchers from different parts of the globe, Jaime Miranda from Peru and Shea Abimbola from Nigeria. Each wears a variety of hats, holding a number of positions in different countries. Jaime Miranda is the health systems researcher from Peru. He holds appointments as the Professor of Global Health at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, Lone Scholar at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, Boston, USA, and is a visiting professorial fellow at the George Institute for Global Health, Australia. Shea Abimbola is the health systems researcher from Nigeria. Among other roles, he is the Prince Claus Chair in the Equity and Development at Utrecht University, the Netherlands, a senior lecturer at the School in Public Health, a senior lecturer at the School of Public Health, University of Sydney in Australia, and is the editor-of-chief of BMJ Global Health. This mini-series features unstructured conversations between Shea and Jaime as they reflect on daily interactions. The conversations offer illuminating insight on navigating work and cultural perspectives. This episode reflects on the way Western worldview shaped medical education and global health research as a result. My earliest experience is working in the UK. Um, it was the idea that each person had decided before the day started how they were going to spend the day. <laughs> so you come to the office, you know that you are going to work from 9 till 10.30, you have a meeting from 10.30 till 12.30. Everything is so preplanned that if I were to sort of stroll by your desk or catch you around, you know, the coffee machine, we, we can't just have a conversation that runs for 30 minutes, one hour, and, and change <laughs> the plan and, and do something interesting. It was just so, people were so fixed. Um, and I'm not used to that. And I, I'm still not used to that in spite of all this, after all these many years. I still... I still have these flexibilities around my idea of time, uh, frankly. <laughs> um, I, I'm very man. And, and in many ways, it, it has a lot, a strong influence on how I work and how I think. I mean, we can all the way and call it procrastination. But it makes me think on what's the meaning of work as well. So mm. why do we come to work and uh, what is that we want to get out of work? Mm. And uh, where's the enjoyment? But in a way, part is the efficiency, but also I think it's part is cultivating the, the links and the relationships. So, I mean, sometimes for, for, and I'm happy to pay that price. So a lot of people will go and travel into the, the so-called networking, right? But I, I, I don't want to use the term networking. It's more of a finding out not what you have that I can benefit from, but no, just finding out who is the person behind. Uh, or what are the teams behind, and and that takes time, a lot of time, a lot of energy, hmm. a lot of liver cells as well. Yeah. I don't like to ask who is good at doing something. Hmm. In football, we're all strikers. Yeah, we all want to score. Yeah, uh-huh. no, no, no. Yeah. But you know what? I wouldn't mind doing this other thing. And in academics, you can see it. So people, let's say, 
out of 10 academics, maybe two are on Twitter. Mm. Maybe only one of them are actively on Twitter or, or using it mm. properly, right? Mm. And um, should the other eight be trained to use Twitter? Twitter? No. Uh, we need to know the, the skills and we need to all, uh, we need to know the these frictions, reduce these frictions, as, as some people call it, mm. for people to engage into other things, right? But but I was once on on the panel to hire an academic, a global health academic, and there was a long list of of applicants for just one position, about fifty applicants, and there was just one position, and we had shortlisted five people. Um, and then we shortlisted another three, so we, the finalist, I think, was eight people. And um, on that list, um, five people were from low- and middle-income countries, I think, and, and three people were from high-income countries. Um, and the people who were from high-income countries are white women, and the people who were from low- and middle-income countries were mostly men apart from one um, woman who is from somewhere in South Asia. Now, at the end of the interviews, um, the only people um, on the list of appointable people were the white people. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I, I found out, I, I noticed that I was the only non-white person on the panel. It was difficult, if not impossible, it was certainly difficult, not impossible, for someone who had not grown up, had been, had not been, who had not been socialized, to look at the world in a certain way, mm. meet those criteria. Oh. Now, if you, I'm not sure what your experience is, but um, if you grow up as I did in, in Nigeria, the vast majority of my medical school, school classmates um, did not look at the world um, as someone whose role it is to figure it out, to explain it, and in a sense to not to to dominate intellectually, if you see what I mean, to sort of to, fig- yeah, yeah. to have it figured out in your in your head. Yeah, yeah. But if you, because I went to sort of what you describe as an elite medical school, if you had to go to a similarly elite medical school in the US or the UK, right, the people there there usually have been trained and socialized all their life to look at the world as something that belonged to them. Mm. So, something mm. that, you know, um, your role is to, to figure out, even to make better. You know, to, yeah. it's, it's, there, there's a socialization that yeah. happens from childhood. Uh, one of my favorite examples, uh, I, I, which I give in a lot of my decolonization um, discussions, is how that I grew up in a country where the most the most important river I was taught in school that that river was discovered by a Scottish explorer, Mungo Park. That a river that my ancestors have always used, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that, that it was discovered by Mungo Park. Um and, and this was curriculum, Nigerian curriculum, taught by a Nigerian teacher. So, so no no one imposed this on us. It was not a direct imposition, it was socialization to mm. us to, mm. to believe in many ways that your history doesn't belong to you. Right. Right. Belongs to someone right. else. 
that was inscribed by someone else. Now, my this, my counterpart in the UK, right, was trained to, to believe that his or her ancestor conquered the world. Right. Now, when you right. put the two of us side by side, <laughs> one of us sees the world in a certain way, and the other sees it in a double different, if not opposite way. And so, so when you expect someone in an interview, for example, to have the world figured out from a certain perspective, you're almost saying that you want someone who had been trained slash socialized in a certain way. It's also the case that, that if that person who had been trained all their life to, 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 to believe that the ancestors conquered the world, if they were to find themselves in a village in Nigeria or, or India, there's a sense of entitlement right? that, that, you know, the person feels differently in that space compared to someone whose ancestors were, who, who, who wasn't socialized to believe that their ancestors, you know, conquered the world. Right. You're just a different person. And these things have huge implications for, for how we even think about the work we do in global health. And that there are things that run deep. It's not just, that they run deep. Um, and they create manifestations that make some people more, um, feel more entitled, more legitimate. And also to think in certain ways that, that we then like and then prop up and, and then support and then reward. While interviewing people for a position, there's only so much you can do at that stage. There's only so much yeah. you can do. If, you, if you've set up the rules, if you set up the expectations in a certain way, that's how you score things. <laughs> you score things based yes, on yes. your expectations. And, you know, there's nothing you can do at that stage. So, so if we want, and I'll say to that person, if we want to have appointed someone else or to have made the, the, the playing field more even, we would have needed to rethink what we mean by global health. Mm. We have needed to rethink the kind of expertise we wanted on the team. We would have needed to rethink even whom we expect our students to be and what we are training them to do. Right? Without, without touching those expectations, don't expect that somehow magically we, we would achieve diversity in hiring. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That, that, and it connects me to this point when you're saying in my fellow colleagues in medical school, I, I totally kind of zoom out or zoom into my sitting in a class and it was, I felt in a way also how science is communicated mm. and we are just merely passive consumers. Mm. And, and just to think about what the possibility that we could be framing, guiding, directing the research question is, no, that's, 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 no, that's, that, that's another world. That's, mm. and, and you made me think so. So I, I felt always like the outlier, right? So why, why am I being part of this conversation? And, and I felt that it was natural. But because my understanding of the world is wrong, right? But I think it was natural that to be part of, meant to be part of the academic conversation, which whose purpose is to enhance, promote a culture of interaction so that the scientific conversations and communications get much more approachable and available. But you put it nicely. A lot of people just passively wait and wait to be fed what's what's in there and when you go out 
Yeah, yeah. But I think I've told you this um, before. Like uh, when when I show up into some spaces, like I, I I get the I get the I get the looks. Like, what is this guy doing here? Or, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know what I'm doing there, to be honest. But <laughs> and equally, I don't know what. Now there was I wouldn't be just uh, sitting waiting there and 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 being just a consumer, a a passive consumer. Uh, but but. Perhaps that's our role. I mean, to see ourselves, and that's part of the decolonizing, mm-hmm. uh, uh, another ways of the health, right? Is mm-hmm. just not to assume. I mean, there's, there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, scientific knowledge being produced, but just to make yourself room for yourself to be comfortable with yourself, with your smaller networks, mm-hmm. that you're part of this environment where science gets communicated. Mm-hmm. And to, to be part of the conversation, you need to have a voice yeah. and part of on the journal side, part of on the spaces and the mm. professional society, mm. but part is your role. So who do you want to interact and who do you want to mm. talk to? Mm. I'm currently doing a paper um, with a colleague in South Africa um, for, for hopefully for, for a Lancet special issue on, on race in science, medicine and health or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we decided to write about um, is the way that is medical education in, especially in, in post-colonial or in, in previously colonized countries, that when you look at the structure of medical education, uh, it was designed to be as similar as possible to what obtains in the US and the UK. Mm-hmm. That's the template. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you when you stand back and you sort of look at our countries, you know that if we were to design medical education for ourselves, it would look very different from the one we, we have. But but we've, we've, the one we have was handed down to us and we've been running with it. Mm. And there's a big question to ask. Um, about whether slash how we can readapt and adapt what has been handed onto us so that it looks more like us. Um, and the, the opening section in the paper was a description of the early history of the medical school I went to in Nigeria. So, so in, 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 the, in, the, in the 1940s, um, when Nigeria was still under colonial rule, um, the British colonialists set up Nigeria's first medical school right. to look exactly like University College London's medical school. In fact, the, the teaching hospital of, of that of that medical school is still called University College Hospital, the same one as in London. <laughs> the design of the hospital was to look as much as the one in London as possible. The curriculum was to train in their words, to train doctors that would be able to practice in London. Not that we would practice in Nigeria. We practice in London. Now, in their words. So, so when you, when you, when, and it's the same structure that we've had forever. Anyway, when, when Nigerian, when, when a bunch of people wanted to set up a new medical school, my medical school was set up in the 1960s, they decided to do something different to mm-hmm. create a medical mm-hmm. school that was as Nigerian as possible. And it failed. It failed. <laughs> So they went back to that old structure, which was the structure in which I was trained. 
But what's mm-hmm. interesting, the, the story of the failure we, we, we told in the paper, I don't, I don't want to go into it now, but for me it's just remarkable the, the, how little we try to reimagine the world that was handed out to us. And I remember learning English through wanting to be part of the scientific communication because I felt that I had, not that I had the wealth of experiences, mm-hmm. but I felt that I, that there was an underrepresentation of Latin American, Andean mm. uh, communities yeah. in, 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 in general. Yeah. So my first paper, and I was glad to hear, it wasn't my first paper, it was a letter. Mm. It was about social inequalities. I have no idea what social inequality <laughs> meant at that point in time. And now people do PhDs on that. Yeah. And I wrote it with Paul Farmer. Mm. But I wrote it with Paul at the time where my English was Crap is still bad, but it wasn't aiming or wanting to be published. And now when I see these people of entitlement, they are pushing me, Jaime, let's work together. We're going to do good science. and we're going to be published in a high-impact journal. And I'm like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's not, okay, well, thank you, but uh, I wouldn't say that. No, it's like, uh, my entry point is different. Is are we saying something meaningful? Mm-hmm. Is that something that's relevant? Is something missing? Mm-hmm. What is it missing in this part of the thing? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so this sort of entitlement, I've heard it in some, some environments, like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, work with us and you'll be, you'll be, you'll be published. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> thank, thank you. I never used that as, as a verb before. I'm going to be published. But going back to that entitlement, maybe on a side note, and mm-hmm. how people present, get trained, get mm-hmm. trained to portray. I remember seeing people, I was in the UK. I got this CV of someone who just, uh, I think just, it was a second, third year medical school. CV, obviously, very thin, uh, very small, one page, and language, Spanish proficiency. I wouldn't use the word excellent, but kind of um, above, what's the word they use? Average. Anyhow, above average, right? And, and I call her said, I call her in Spanish. So tell me about your Spanish proficiency. No, no, I went for 15 days to, to school and I said, look, I'm now six years learning English, and I wouldn't even call myself <laughs> average. And you, with 15 days, you're calling yourself. No, no, I, yeah. I didn't say that to her, but I was in my head. Yeah. How on earth can you be so entitled hmm. to be just grab the word and put it on your CV? Yeah. I'm like, here I am with six years of English, and not even daring to call it average. Yeah. And you, with 15 days, you say, no, and I go 10 days before that, no, I get by. How you perceive the world, right? And, and for some people, the world is there ready to be taken. Yeah. And for others, is where's my place? Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Scan. make sure you subscribe to The Scan so you don't miss an episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We can't wait to bring you all the latest news and research in global health.